This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Hello, welcome again to The Lydia Project. I'm Taryn Hayes. Our guests today are Barbara and Stacey Riach. They are mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. They share a special love for the same man, Ben, who's Barbara's son and Stacey's husband. They're both authors and Bible teachers. They both work in gospel working roles and they both hold in their hearts the importance of healthy in-law relationships. It was with this in mind that they set out to write a book together called Making Room for Her in which they share their wisdom and failures from over 20 years of forming their own in-law bond as well as much biblical insight into what growing healthier, God-glorifying in-law relationships can look like. It's a great chat and towards the end we even get to hear what they most value in each other, a question they've never been asked before. So stay with us for this book club episode with Barbara and Stacey Riach. Stacey, Barbara, welcome to the Lydia Project. Thank you, Taryn. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's good to have you. So Barbara, we've had the pleasure of meeting you before here at the Lydia Project. For our listeners, that's episode 54, where Barbara shares about her journey of faith and about how God led her to write uh, Christmas and Easter devotional material for families. And if you haven't had listened to that yet, I do recommend hearing how God brought Barbara to faith as a brand new mum. But today we have the pleasure of hearing from both Barbara and her daughter-in-law, Stacey. In fact, it's their relationship as in-laws that will be a focus of much of our chat today. But before we delve into the intricacies of the in-law life, Stacey, I would love to hear from you how it was that you came to trust Jesus and grow in him. Yeah, I'd love to share. Well, I grew up in a wonderful family. We went to church off and on. Uh, I would say we were nominal Christians. So I, I kind of thought that being a Christian meant believing in God, being baptized. And in seventh grade, I was confirmed in my church. And that was kind of like the um, last step of becoming a member. Um, but we kind of I was the youngest of three, and I think after that, we kind of just trailed off and and just kind of went off and on, you know, always on Christmas and Easter, uh, and sometimes in between. So when I met Ben, who is Barbara's son, we started dating our senior year of high school, our last year of high school. So God really used Ben and Barb and their whole family really as a witness to me because I would go over to their house and there were just some differences. You know, I I always felt welcome there. I always felt loved, but you know, there were Bibles and commentaries lying around. There was a list of things to pray for on the kitchen table. And that all seemed kind of foreign to me. So when I went away to college to my university, I was seeking, I definitely knew there was something missing from my supposed Christian life. And God in his sovereignty, I was at a huge university, 40,000 students, but in God's perfect plan, he put Christians in the dorm room next to me. 
So girls, a couple girls started sharing their faith with me and a campus ministry, a woman who was on staff at the campus ministry came and knocked on my door and invited me out to coffee and shared the gospel with me. So the Lord just lined up all these different people and I started looking for a church and I went to this hotel across from my dorm that was like a church plant, kind of come as you are. And that's where I remember really hearing the gospel and realizing you know, that I was a sinner, that I was in need of a savior and committing my life to follow Christ. I didn't really knew, know what exactly that meant, but I feel like that was kind of the beginning of starting to seek the Lord, starting to open his word and find out what it really means to walk with God. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love the part where Barbara was such a pivotal part of your journey. That's fantastic. What a blessing. Now, somewhere between coming to faith and writing a book together, <laughs> there's been a lot of life lived between the two of you. And much of that has shaped your relationship as in-laws. So Stacey, I wanted to know what were your first thoughts and concerns about being a daughter-in-law? Well, I think I was excited. I was, you know, overjoyed to be marrying Ben and joining their family. I love Barb and Ron and I was excited to be a part. I think really I didn't give enough thought to what it meant to be a daughter-in-law. I was so focused on I'm starting my new family. And that was when Ben and I got married, it was a couple months after that Barb and Ron moved to South Africa. So I think, you know, combined with the the distance and not seeing each other that much. And there, you know, this was before Zoom calls and before FaceTime. So I think I didn't really put enough um, emphasis on, you know, working to build that relationship. And looking back, I wish I would have taken the initiative more and been a little bit more proactive instead of just being consumed with starting my new family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really common. And a lot of what you say, I identify with even living in the same town as my in-laws. <laughs> so yeah, lots of regret. And even now, actually, I think to myself living now on a different continent to my in-laws that we have to be very intentional here to make those kind of connections. Mm. What about you, Bob? What were your initial thoughts and concerns about being a mum in law Yeah, very similar to Stacy's in that I was really grateful that uh, Stacy and Ben had come together and they loved God. They loved each other. And, you know, we had, Ben was our first child. So we weren't experienced at the in-law thing, part of life, but we just knew that um, God desired a wife for Ben who would be to, as devoted to God as he was. And Stacy was that one for him. And so we couldn't help but just be thrilled. Uh, they had so many things in common just in terms of their history. We, we were in the living in the same uh, city in Midland, Michigan. And so we just had a lot in common and yet so much anticipation of what God had ahead. I, I guess it in terms of concerns, 
I was uncertain of myself because I had never done this before. And uh, I've heard others say, boy, I could have used a book like this when I was getting ready to be, uh, to have a daughter-in-law or to have a mother-in-law. Well, I feel that way too. I, I could have explored so many other uh, issues, feelings. I could have uh, been much more prepared had I thought more or or talked with others more because I you know you you can know and love a person but you you need to uh, learn their style of communication and you need to learn what really helps them to know that you care about them and so I was concerned uh, that I would be sensitive to Stacy's style of communication and that I wouldn't actually promote misunderstanding which you know it can happen pretty easily, especially with first impressions. I also wanted to be sure to nurture a relationship with her that respected her other relationships in her life. And I hoped I wouldn't cross any uh, boundaries or step on any toes. I knew Stacy was uh, very interested in getting to know me, but she had a very special closeness with her mom and her sister and very you know Stacy's a very friendly person has lots of friends and of course she was going to have a new husband that was going to require a lot of time so I just you know I was concerned that I would fit in and have the right expectations for my relationship with her yeah wow as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, these are many thoughts that I've had, and I don't even have any in, in you know, <laughs> daughters-in-law on the horizon. <laughs> that's far off. Yeah, that's that's definitely far off for me. But those are things that I imagine I would think about and be concerned about. And it's interesting hearing you speak like that because I don't I do wonder how many people do think so intentionally about these things. Um, you know, when you hear about relationships between in-laws, they're, they're so negative in the press. And often I think people are quite selfish in their thinking. So it's, you know, I want more time or I want to see my son or as opposed to, hey, how can I make room for her? Which is the title of your book, Making Room for Her. I think it's a great, beautiful title. Biblical wisdom for a healthier relationship with your mother-in-law or daughter-in-law. And I, yeah, I can't think of a, a better title. That's great. You, you do talk in your book about this concept, which I wanted to explore a little bit with our listeners. Some Christian listeners will understand it and have heard it, um, but there might be a few who don't. So this um, concept that you talk about is to leave or cleave. And I was wondering if maybe, Stacey, you could unpack that for us. Sure. Yeah, well, really, you know, it goes back to the book of Genesis. Um, to Genesis 2.24 that says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother in bonds or cleaves with his wife and they become one flesh. So since woman was created from man, um, from the same body, they're from one flesh. And so in a sense, when a man and a woman get married, they're moving from being separate to returning to their original state at creation. And in Hebrew, the word leave means to forsake dependence on, or depart from, or let go, or release. And the word cleave means to hold fast, or to join together, to stick to, or stay close. So if you think about an illustration with two pieces of paper that are 
glued together and that look like they're now just one piece of paper. That's what cleaving is intended to do is two separate people that are coming together in their covenant relationship in Christ. And so they're forming a new family. They're, you know, the, the new couple is leaving that first place relationship with their parents and becoming a new entity themselves. Yeah, that's a, that's a great explanation. I've always liked that uh, illustration that you've used. It's very, it's a very helpful visual, isn't it? Yeah. So Barbara, what would you say are some ways a mom-in-law can help a newly married son and daughter-in-law to do this leaving and cleaving? And then maybe on the back of that, just talk about what are some of the ways that parents tend to hinder that process, whether obviously it's intentional or not. Well, that is such a good question. And I think what is most helpful is when the parents understand this, that this, you know, we have many cultural ways of understanding how this relationship works and doesn't work. But what we really need for the success of this new couple is an understanding of this biblical principle. Uh, because God has made this couple one and they, they need to live it out. It takes time for that uh, glue to set, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. And they, I mean, they are new. They are a new couple in Christ for sure. That is a done deal. But the setting of that uh, glue takes some time. And so parents need to realize this. And as Stacy said, the parents are no longer the first place relationship for this new couple, I think. Uh, parents need to realize that as well to set this new couple up for success. And I think um, in terms of hindering that process, it's when parents want to maintain that and, and keep the priority of the attention on themselves. And so, yeah, how, how can parents uh, think rightly about that? Well, I, understand their their new role and realize that that God has this time for them to serve this new family. I mean that's really their new role. And some parents will think of this as a lesser role, but but it isn't. It's a beautiful role that Jesus uh, exemplified for us himself. He really showed us uh, that true greatness is found in humbling oneself to serve others. And so instead of parents feeling forgotten or unappreciated or kind of stuck in self-pity or even anger, I think that, that they can just realize that this is a time to move along with Christ their identity in him is still the same, but they have a new charge, if you will, from him. And that is to love, forgive, to encourage this new couple, this new family, this shoot of a new family coming from you. And it really means watching my words, holding back advice unless I'm asked, and to look for ways to help. A, a young married couple, you know, just be sensitive to whether they feel like they want you to help and where they want you to help and need for you to help. I, I have an image of this myself that has been really helpful. And that's standing on the sidelines, 
kind of ready to cheer, cheer them on or hand them a bottle of water, whatever it is. And it's, I'm not in the game anymore, but it is truly a blessing to see this other shoot of this family really playing the game and succeeding in it. I, I don't think of it as taking a back seat. I think of it as standing on the sidelines and cheering them on. And yeah. so I think that's what will really help this young couple succeed and what God is calling them to do. That's a great illustration. I, I, as I'm listening to you speak about it, I'm thinking, yeah, definitely want to be on the sidelines cheering, not the coach, <laughs> not the one, not the one shouting directions. <laughs> 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 mom and dad in the stands cheering along and actually I mean as yeah I was thinking about that that you can make or break the game depending on what you're doing in those stands if you're being interfering and meddlesome and yelling abuse the players on the field are not going to be able to concentrate on what they're doing but if you're there to cheer and to help and to provide the water bottle when it's needed and and so on you're very much a part of helping that game be a successful game so yeah that's a, I like that analogy very different to how society speaks about in-laws, isn't it? I mean, you both talk about mother-in-law jokes in your book. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think we can probably all come up with at least one that we've heard in the past. And I can't think of one television show where the mother-in-law is portrayed as anything nicer than a meddlesome complainer. And it gets all the laughs. And we do laugh because, you know, they, they are funny. But in terms of being a representation of society, mums and law really come off poorly. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if our media culture sets us up to go into marriages expecting the worst from an in-law relationship. And yet it doesn't have to be like that at all. And in your book, you speak of having this intentional approach to in-law relationships. And you've spoken about it here as we've been talking about it already. And one of these intentional approaches is to have the intention of honoring your mum-in-law. So I was wondering, Stacey, what would you say are some ways for a young woman to honor her mum-in-law? Yeah, I think there's there's multiple ways we can intentionally honor our mother-in-law. I think, you know, time, you know, choosing to invest time in her. And that's going to look different whether you live in the same city or, you know, if you're like Barb and I have always been hundreds, if not thousands of miles apart, you know, making that time to connect, even if it's, you know, a phone call or a text message or a card in the mail, but making that intentional time to, to be with her and to get to know her as a person, to, to really study her and see what does she enjoy? What does she like to do? What are ways that I can come alongside her? I think our words, you know, how we speak to her and how we speak about her. So, you know, speaking to her, you know, voicing our gratitude for her um, being in our life and our children's lives and, you know, watching how you talk about her to your friends and to other people that you're putting her in the best light possible, that you're sharing, you know, the blessing that she's been. And, And I know that there are a lot of people with hard relationships too, but I still think we can, we can look for the good. So even if you feel like, well, I have a laundry list of things she's done that's been hurtful or that, 
you know, have caused division in our family. Well, what's something, you know, there's, there needs to be something you can look to. Maybe it's just that she hosted a holiday meal, you know, or maybe she helped you wash the dishes at the end of your holiday meal. You know, there's just even little things that you can look to and express gratitude for. And I think, you know, praying, just, you know, praying for her, keeping your heart soft towards her, asking God to help you overlook offenses and move forward in love. Yeah, I really, again, lots of wisdom coming from you and from your book. That overlooking offenses thing, I think it's really important throughout the relationship, but particularly in the beginning, as you're both learning. Before we talk about maybe the more serious side of, of conflict and, and particularly difficult relationships, I'm keen to hear from you, Barbara. What do you think are some good tips for mums in law to honor their daughters in law? Well, it is such a joy, really, to honor each other. And uh, there are some very deliberate, intentional things that can be done, and they're pretty simple. I think uh, to honor your daughter-in-law by just committing to love her as you love your son and other children. You're not, you know, you don't have a hierarchy of love for your family and let her know right away that she is family. And she may never call you mom, as, as you would say, Taryn, or um, use recipes or be interested in the same kinds of things that you are interested in, but you are family regardless of all your differences and just commit to loving her. I think that's really one of the first things. And then honor her by encouraging the marriage relationship between your daughter-in-law and your son. And as Stacy was saying, uh, how important words are, let your son hear you affirm his new wife and let the small things go, as we've already talked about. I think for moms-in-law, especially, most of those stings that come from those seemingly small things that we think of as big because they stung us and it hurts, they really go away uh, the more you get to know and love your daughter-in-law. And that just takes time. So be willing to just take it with the long view in mind. And also just remember how long it took you to feel secure in your role as a wife. And uh, instead of approaching the relationship with, oh, I have so much wonderful advice to give, just remember how you felt when you were a new bride. So honor her by encouraging her marriage and honor her by valuing her differences. You are different people. She, your son did not marry a clone of you. <laughs> and uh, that, that's a wonderful thing. She has different opinions. She has different perspectives. She's of a different generation. And that means you could go like this and not be able to ever really connect. But it doesn't have to mean that. Uh, it doesn't have to mean that you won't ever be close because you have so many differences. I think it's important to consider the differences as a gift instead of a threat. Mm -hmm. 
because there's so much blessing that you can get from your family expanding and growing. And lastly, I'll just say honor her by showing interest in who she is as a person. It's, it's wonderful to ask God to help you in this. I mean, you, you, God's given you an impossible task to love someone, you know, who is totally different, who you don't know, and who is totally different than you, but, but God loves it when we depend on him and he will help you know her heart and what really matters to her. And she may not notice that you're interested in who she is as a person right away, but in the long run, those little tangible ways that you express love will matter. Whether it's, you know, always showing up with chocolate or offering to babysit for the kids, uh, texting, praying, as Stacy said, asking for how you can pray. Those things are really important and they they make a difference over the long haul. And Barb is really good at doing all those things that she just said. (laughs) (laughs) I think this would have been a very difficult book to write if if you weren't. (laughs) I'm taking a little bit of my own advice. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I think conflict is bound to happen at some point. And, you know, in some cases, relationships are very difficult. Stacey, you mentioned earlier that that's, that is the case for some people and you encourage people even in those to find good things to say and good things to affirm. But what else would you say are some keys to handling conflict in a constructive and a helpful way? Well, I think one thing that we've learned is, you know, seeing conflict as an opportunity to grow in love towards your in-law because it is bound to happen. No matter how good of a relationship you have, we're still two sinners and two sinners that love the same man, that have different agendas, different opinions about things. So conflict is inevitable, but it's an inevitable opportunity. So I think, you know, the first thing would just be to, you know, look at your own, if you're feeling angry or, you know, bitter or something, look at your own heart, examine your own heart and, you know, remove the log from your own eye. And like Barb had mentioned before, I do think, you know, we want to overlook as much as possible. And the Bible's filled with exhortations about, you know, love covering over an offense. And I think a lot of that is believing the best about your in-law, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt. I think so often we can look at an action or a word as that was meant to hurt me, or, you know, that was meant to cut me down in some way. But what if we instead looked at the best possible way that our mother-in-law could have done or said something? I think of, you know, when we were first married and them coming to visit one of the first times they came for kind of an extended visit because they were coming from South Africa and, and Barb, you know, doing something as simple as sweeping my kitchen floor, which was really nice. But in my immaturity, you know, thinking she must think that my kitchen is dirty. You know, I should have, I should have swept that before, you know, she probably doesn't think I'm a good housekeeper. You know, but what if I instead looked at that as, oh, she wants to help 
she's looking for a way to serve, to serve us and to help us. Cause I'm a young mom that's overwhelmed with, you know, babies and life. Um, so I think, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt. I do think, you know, there are those times when the offenses seem too big to overlook. Maybe there's been a repeated pattern of sin or a repeated hurt that isn't getting any better. And I think those are the times that we do want to go to our mother-in-law directly. And I would say with our husband, you know, let, let your husband lead in that way, because whatever the issue is will most likely be better received coming from that natural born set child, because there's going to be a natural soft spot. So, you know, let him communicate some of those truths, but you can still be there and share how you feel as well and have an open discussion about it and be willing to hear, you know, some criticisms of maybe ways that you've contributed to the conflict, be open to realizing, you know, conflict is a two-way street and how have I contributed to this? And then just be ready to forgive as Christ does to extend that, you know, sacrificial forgiveness that we're not going to hold a grudge. We're not going to keep a scoreboard, but being willing to fully forgive and to move forward in love. Yeah. Yeah. Everything we're talking about does, it just leads right back to what it means to live as a Christian, doesn't it? I think how God has blessed us with opportunities to serve and to love others throughout our life from when we, yeah, hold that tiny little baby in our arms and it's helpless and needs needs us to love and serve them all the way through to when one day we're looking after aged parents. It's just serve, serve, serve. New relationship, new opportunity. <laughs> yeah, God is God is good. He's very gracious. In one of the first chapters, you you discuss what a biblical hope for the relationship can look like through the lens of the relationship between Naomi and Ruth from the Bible. So for those who don't know the story of Ruth, may I encourage you to find the book of Ruth in the Bible. It's a beautiful picture of redemption, and it's also a wonderful picture of a commitment to love another. And I think you've written a beautiful explanation on page 25 in chapter two, and I'd love to read it to our audience. So I'm going to find that now. You wrote... Committed love, what is it? Ruth teaches us the hard truth. Committed love is more than a feeling. Feelings are very important and deserve tending to, but true love could never wholly depend on something as unstable as our emotions. For love to be true, it has to be fueled by commitment. Said another way, the true test of love is not if we feel it in the moment, but rather if we show up to what love requires in the moment. And when we honor the commitment to honor our in-law no matter what, when we show up to what love requires, regardless of what the other person is doing, this habit eventually pulls our feelings along towards true love. Whether it's an argument or harsh words, committed love has no room for endless exceptions. True love does not withdraw. Our commitment moves us towards the other person in hardship, not away. Love accepts inconsistencies. Ruth loved the real Naomi, not a dream of what she thought she should be. And I just thought that is an incredibly significant Thing to point out that it's a persistent choice to love despite whatever is thrown at you and that's incredibly difficult to do incredibly difficult to do what would you say to the woman who has managed to get this far into the chat and is thinking 
yeah, this is all fine and well, but you don't know my mum-in-law or you don't know my daughter-in-law. I've tried everything, but she's truly awful to others around her. She's overstepped boundaries. She's, she's just a toxic person. What about those situations where there are serious concerns that are beyond petty differences? What would you say to those women? Yeah, well, I'll jump in first and just say that, you know, back to Naomi and Ruth, uh, Ruth is an example here of committed love. I mean, she, she was just gonna stick with Naomi and Naomi's God, no matter what. And I mean, Naomi was kind of a prickly person. She wasn't, <laughs> she wouldn't have been very easy to love. And she told Ruth to go away and that she'd be happier somewhere else. So I, I think their relationship is just an example to us that, that this, is, this is an impossible relationship. God has told us to love someone with total commitment who <laughs> that's beyond our ability as a human being. And um, I think God delights in giving us impossible tasks so that we will know how great he is. And as Stacy said a little earlier, most of the time we are going to be overlooking that offense. And certainly there's a lot of uh, biblical admonition that does tell us that. And I don't think it's people pleasing to say that we will love each other deeply and cover and that love covers over a multitude of sins. That's not ignoring that there's an issue. It's recognizing that God is going to extend the grace that we need to, to love this impossible person that, that we've tried over and over again. And he's going to, to give us everything that we need to do that. And at the same time, he's going to help us love him more and more because we'll see how he is faithful to supply everything that we need and how he is doing immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And I will say that at the same time, like my friend who shared with me that uh, she found out that her daughter-in-law was struggling with uh, drug addiction, that there are serious concerns that fall into the category of your in-law either hurting herself or others. And in this case, yeah, the, the daughter-in-law had full care of three little children and those children were in their uh, safety was in jeopardy mm -hmm. as well as the, the in-law. So my friend began to pray that she would be God's instrument to bring her daughter-in-law uh, to safety in that relationship and to repentance in her relationship with God. And God used her mightily. It, it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't a line in the sand that was drawn necessarily, but God showed her little baby steps to take to be part of the solution to that family's problem. And so there are serious concerns like this. There are other serious concerns where there might be a marital crisis uh, between your son and your daughter-in-law. And so you're not the counselor, but you can definitely suggest that counseling be an option and pray for that humbly, humbly approach your in-law 
with love and support, not as one who knows it all and is standing in judgment and condemning them. So this, this means praying for a soft heart for yourself and overlooking your own offenses and going in and searching for God's best for you and for your family. What are your thoughts, Stacey? Yeah, I would say, you know, to somebody who just feels like they're ready to throw in the towel because the relationship has been so difficult, you know, that's that's our natural, you know, sinful human reaction is just to be like, this isn't worth it. You know, I've tried and I'm done and we're going to just live two separate lives and see each other as little as possible. I would say, you know, God is able to give you the grace to keep keep loving a difficult person and you can ask him to like Barb said keep your heart soft to keep moving towards her even if it's as simple as sending her a text message that you know you're thinking about her or you know you drop off flowers to her you know just any little thing to communicate love to communicate that you're for her even if it's not being reciprocated and that's hard. You know, that's hard to, to love someone that's not loving you back. I've seen one of my friends do this, that her mother-in-law, there's really no relationship. She's kind of estranged from their family, but my friend is so exemplary in still taking those little steps to move towards her, you know, sending her a picture of the kids, you know, sending her an invitation to, to dinner, even though she knows she's most likely not going to come. I think, you know, we can move forward in love by the grace of God. At the same time, I, you know, I do want to say, I know that there are like very, like Barb was saying, some extreme relationships where there might actually be physical danger involved or, you know, something that has repeatedly hurt the family. And so I do think there's a place for some godly boundaries to put in place some healthy boundaries that are going to protect that new family and give them some space that they might need. Yeah, I think that's quite a, a quite important thing to highlight. And especially that it, well, not especially, but I'd want to say it's not a free pass to treat them badly. Mm-hmm. I think our temptation is to, as you said, to throw in the towel and go, well, this situation is irredeemable. She's awful. I, I can cut her off and do so in an unloving way. But those healthy boundaries you're talking about may well look like, you know, setting you can't come to my home because maybe that if it's a mum in law is quite abusive towards the children and you've got to protect the kids. But you can still make those boundaries in an open handed, loving way. And still show your love from a distance in those kind of dropping a text or whatever. So what I'm hearing is that there are opportunities, even in the worst of circumstances, to show love, even if it's in the context of firm but loving boundaries. And that's good because we we want the excuse. We want to be the exception. We want to have that free pass to say, yes, but (laughs) in my situation. And we do that in all areas, don't we? Lord, you don't understand this man. It's too difficult. Or this woman is too difficult. This child of mine. <laughs> yeah. 
it's been clear to me just from our chat as well as from reading your book that you two very much care for each other which is beautiful and I know it hasn't all been sunshine and roses from reading your book and I've actually really appreciated your transparency it just allowing your readers to see some of your innermost sinful thoughts that have been instrumental in both the conflicts and in the growing together and I imagine that over the years, there have been many things that you've grown to deeply love and admire about each other. So I, I wanted to ask you a question. I was wondering, perhaps there is something that you really admire and value about the other person that you've not yet told them. What would you say to that? What is something that you really admire and value about the other person that you haven't told them yet? And how about you go first, Stacey? This was a fun question. No one's ever asked us this before. And so this was fun to to think about. There's so many things that I love and admire about Barb that it was hard to pick just one thing. But I really love and appreciate just how welcoming Barb is, how she has such a gracious, humble spirit that I feel like she puts people at ease when she talks with them, whether it's somebody she just met on a podcast interview or, you know, me, you know, who she's known for decades, that it's just really, it's fun to talk with her. And she just has this beautiful, warm smile that she so easily expresses. And I even remember in high school, when my mom first met Barb at some school event at night. And I remember my mom coming back and saying, I met this wonderful, sweet woman with this huge smile on her face. And it was Ben's mom, because I was just starting to date Ben. Um, So I think she just, you know, she has a very gracious spirit that I really admire. That's beautiful. And, And I can second that from what I know of Bob. Um, always always willing to ask the other person questions about them that just show such love and interest in them which is lovely Bob what about you what what would you say about Stacy that you haven't yet told her well after I untangle my throat from <laughs> being all choked up <laughs> there is something very beautiful about this question Taryn it's it's very sweet and boy, you just think of all the healing that could occur if we asked, (laughs) if we talked this way with one another, it's very sweet. I thought uh, pretty quickly uh, about two, two character qualities that I just admire and love about Stacey. And one is that she is a very courageous woman. I see her, I, I just see her, you know, like a Deborah speaking up in defense of what is right and standing up for what is right and being willing to be, you know, other people to say things against that, but that that doesn't matter. So I, I think of her as very courageous, holding up the, the defense of her family as her, as her main cause and doing it with great joy and a calling. She has a real sense of calling to her family and God and her husband. You know, it's not that everybody's always doing everything right, but boy, if they belong to Stacy, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're going to be okay. 
And, and what goes along with that in such a beautiful way is her compassion. You know, she's, she's so compassionate. She enters the lives and hearts of others uh, to understand them and not just to empathize or to enter in, but to then go the, the extra mile and help them. And so I just, those two qualities, courage and compassion are just what Stacy's all about. Thank you, Barb. So sweet. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Thanks for sharing those. And I agree. Can you imagine if we were more intentional? And in fact, this is just off the cuff, but I would love to maybe just challenge our listeners to think about whether it's your mum-in-law or your daughter-in-law or somebody that's significant in your life, if you're not yet in an in-law relationship, to think intentionally today, something about them that you've loved and admired, but maybe never told them and tell them, make it today, make it happen when you finish listening, give, give them a text or a phone call, or if you see them face-to-face and just say, hey, I was challenged to do this today and I thought about you and, and tell them what it is that you love and admire and thank the Lord for them. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. It is. Thank you both for writing this book and for your wonderful example in your relationship and for all your encouragement for those who have more difficult relationships. I do pray that as people are listening and are thinking through this and maybe really struggling because they keep thinking about the cantankerous, unpleasant mm. <laughs> in-law that they find so hard to love. And yet at the same time, I pray that they hear what it means to love somebody else. It means great sacrifice. It means to suffer. Mm-hmm. It means to, to do things intentionally. And I just want to pray that, that those who listen to this will be encouraged to work in their relationship and to do so prayerfully and intentionally, and also to consider buying a book because our little conversation here is just a smidgen of the wonderful wisdom and just just gems that you have in in your book that points towards a good relationship and i would also want to encourage uh, women to consider this book as a gift to give to people who are going to be married to mums-in-law who are not yet a mum-in-law I, I mean, I can think of a thousand different ways. And in fact, when I, when I was reading this book, I kept thinking, oh, yes, I should give it to this person. I should give it to that person. And, <laughs> and uh, Mother, Mother's Day is coming up as well soon. And so I think this would actually make a wonderful Mother's Day gift. So that would be my encouragement to our listeners to consider buying this book. You can buy this book in Australia from the wonderingbookseller.com.au and get a 15% discount with the Lydia Project and the discount coupon code is Lydia L-Y-D-I-A 15 and that's 15. So L-Y-D-I-A 15 will give you a 15% discount from the Wondering Bookseller. But it's also available on pretty much all other uh, platforms so if you're buying it online you would find it on amazon and christian bookstore and i uh, what are some of the, the names in us in america that our stores people are likely to find it in target barnes and noble even i think walmart has it online oh brilliant brilliant and uh yeah buy it up and wouldn't it be wonderful to see it physically in those stores as well that would be that would be awesome in our very non-Christian culture yes. that we live in. Um, <laughs> that would be good. 
Thank you both for your time. Thank you, Taryn. Well, it's been a pleasure, Taryn. I've really enjoyed chatting to you both. And one day, hopefully, I get to meet you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 